Uh, dabs furiously. The world wasn't ready for this. No, it was um, almost too strong. I would actually say it crossed the line and was, in fact, too strong. Okay. You know, I think we can forgive it. We can make an exception just this one. So how's everybody doing tonight? I'm doing great. Doing all right. Oh, that was extremely convincing. <laughs> Tim, you okay, buddy? Yeah, I'm good. You sure you're all right, Tim? Yeah. We're probably going to go some places, so if you're not okay, this would be a good time to tell me. No, I'm good. Okay. Because it's not too late for this just to become, like, a Summer Frights thing. That's very true. But also, are we only delaying the inevitable, or...? We super are, yeah. No, we do have to finish this arc eventually. (laughs) (laughs) I would rather do it sooner than later. Precisely. Um, Yeah. The next arc will be more fun, I promise. Okay, good. <laughs> Sorry, this one sucks so All of so my bad. instincts, I trust you. No, it's good. Stop. Um, okay, so we did a recap off mic, but does anybody need any clarification on anything, or do we need a summary of anything that happened? I'm good, I think. We're all up to speed? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. I just kind of, I did, I don't know. Were you nodding? Like, because I can't see it. Yes, I was. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. I kind of figured that was the case, but, um, you know, just kind of check. Okay, um, but I guess we're just going to jump right back in. All right. So I was sitting there, barbecue sauce on my titty. (laughs) Oh, my God. God. Here, I was going to say, let's jump in like Corbin Blue in the movie Jump In. (laughs) Both really wonderful cultural touchstone references that didn't exist in 1996. Get out of here. They had barbecue sauce and titties and (laughs) titties. No, they hadn't been invented yet. (laughs) Okay, um... Let's go to Martha. Hello. We're jumping right in. So we have sort of been um, sort of sliding in and out of these particular mindscapes. Um, But for Martha, you have only sort of experienced the one so far. You had your own personal memory that you dealt with. And now you're out of that space in sort of this strange transitional environment, this weird atmosphere, and then you start to sort of feel the world coming back into focus around you. Things are solidifying again in a, in a slightly different way, and the landscape around you looks fuzzy but distinguishable, as if something hasn't quite snapped yet. You know how it is when you're at the eye doctor and they have you going between different lenses trying to figure out which one is better or worse. And oh yeah, I did that a couple months ago. Yeah, and you just end up in these sort of half-focused states where you know what you're supposed to be seeing, but it's definitely not as clear as you would maybe like it to be. Yeah, I like number two better. Right, well you don't get number two today, you get number oh. one. So. Oh, shit. <laughs> so you see sort of the tree line, which is maybe what you're expecting. And you can feel the snow crunching under your feet, but it's not super cold. You get the feeling that maybe it's early springtime when things haven't quite thawed all the way through, but the sun is warm enough on your face and on the ground around you that it doesn't quite feel as as bleak as the wintertime does. And you really don't notice any sort of distinguishing features about this scene around you, except that you notice what, as you begin to walk towards it, sort of more clearly makes itself known to you as a truck sitting in the middle of this field. 
McDo. that? Who trucked that? Yeah, who's, who's, who, who trucked that? Uh, do you want to, like, roll to see if you recognize the truck? or? Um, well, I mean, would that just be, like, investigate a mystery? Yeah, it would just be, like, a like a sharp roll. Okay. All right, so we got a nine. Okay, so that's a mixed success. You know you've definitely seen this truck before. It is somebody that you know. Okay. Does the license plate have, like, a cool name on it or something? <laughs> Is it like, Don't let me come up with vanity plates for it, everyone in Revenant. Is it like uh, uh, BB Diner? <laughs> no. Uh, um, I will it. tell you it is specifically a pickup truck. Okay. Um, and again, you you know that you recognize it. You know it's familiar to you. Oh, and I'll also give you this. Uh, you recognize this truck, but you're not used to seeing it look this way. Something about it is different. Okay. Uh is it like, is it new? Is it old? It is newer than you have seen it before. Okay. This is still a truck that's seen somewhere, um, but it is, it's not an ancient pickup truck. It looks fairly functional and, and well held together. Right. Can I, can I try one of the doors? See if it's Oh, unlocked. you're not, you're not that close to it yet. You can get oh, closer to oh, okay. it if you want. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. Get this closer. is just like you're, the scene is kind of coalescing around you and you see a truck over there. Okay, yeah, I'll go over to the truck. Okay, great. You walk up to the truck. Um, you see a person sitting in the front seat of the truck. Who that person? Um, it is Adam Kennedy, but oh. not as you are used to seeing him. And in fact, not as you, Martha, have probably ever seen him before. He looks somewhat significantly younger. Okay. And as you're looking at him, you're sort of trying to, to reconcile this. He doesn't notice you yet. Um, he doesn't seem to see you at all. He's sitting in the front seat of this truck um, with his arms sort of crossed over the steering wheel and his, uh, his chin resting on his forearms, looking out the windshield. And you notice something which takes you aback, which is that he is wearing a formal suit. Oh, I'm going to knock on the window. Okay, you knock on the window. Um, and he seems to start a little bit and um, look up and maybe shake his head slightly, but he doesn't see you. Okay, like, I don't want to just, like, instantly make a link because I know that's what, like, is supposed to happen. There's no so. necessarily supposed to happen. You can do whatever you want. You can look around the scene a little bit more. You can try yeah, again to get his attention. Uh, you can do whatever you want. Let's look around the scene a little bit. Okay. Is there anything in particular you are looking for? Anything that you're trying to sort of figure out? Well, he's wearing a suit, so mm -hmm. I want to know why he's wearing that suit. Okay. Why don't you go ahead and roll a formal investigative mystery for this? Uh, that's not good. Uh, it's a four. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, the scene remains pretty fuzzy around you. Uh, there's really nothing that you can deduce very much from this. In fact, it seems kind of like the harder you try to focus on the scene around you, the less distinct it is. Okay. Um, I think she shakes her head a little bit um, and then goes around to the passenger side of the truck and um, opens the door and climbs in. <laughs> nice. I love it. Um, he looks over at you and, um, maybe not as surprised as you would expect someone to be when you climb into the passenger seat of their truck. He sort of looks you up and down and says, who the hell are you? I'm Martha. Who the hell are you? <laughs> I'm 
the owner of this truck, so show some respect. Um, sure. Well, um, you doing okay? Um, he sort of laughs kind of bitterly and says, that's a pretty weird question to ask a stranger. Well, I like to make sure that, uh, everyone's doing all right. You know, it's kind of like my duty, I guess. Yeah. Did Eleanor send you down here? You could say that. (laughs) You could say that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He sort of sighs and rubs the bridge of his nose and says, yeah, I'm fine. I'll I'll be up in just a minute. Um, Now, is there enough time in this uh, memory to, like let time pass you have all the time in the world okay time is really kind of as as you may have guessed um not necessarily non-existent but very fluid in this space like what you are exploring here is already a memory it is a mindscape so time doesn't really mean anything here to begin with okay i think i just kind of uh look at him for a second and then I say, well, um, you mind if I uh, sit here with you? I could use a little company, too. He um, looks at you with a little bit of disbelief on his face and then shrugs his shoulders and says, sure, why not, I guess. So then there's a, a big old silence, big old pause. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I think after a little bit, um, I look back over at Adam and uh, I just say, so uh, why are you out here? Are, is there something that you need to be doing inside or are you just kind of avoiding everything? He sighs and, and leans back in his seat and says, well, I mean, I think it's probably pretty obvious where I'm supposed to be. I think that as you sit here and look at this, you... Um, notice a few more details start to come into focus. And by that, I mean not that Martha notices things that Martha didn't notice before, but that there are literally things in the scene that didn't exist a moment ago when you were looking at them. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally does. So, for example, now you notice that this isn't just a suit necessarily. It is like a... It's a black suit with a white shirt and a bow tie that is undone around his neck. There is a um, there's a boutonniere pinned on his lapel, and you notice that his hair is combed more neatly than usual, and um, little cues like this that make you start to realize that. Whatever this event that he's supposed to be at is, one, it's a pretty big deal, and two, he's getting pretty nervous about the fact that he specifically is supposed to be there. Okay. Um, cold feet? You say that, and there's sort of a strange thing that happens. Um, as you make this comment, more of the details of the scene sort of click into place and then fade back out again. Um, It's a sort of instantaneous thing. It's like you're looking, to use this same analogy as earlier, it's almost like you're looking through 
two different lenses at once. You see Adam next to you in the same way that he was in this memory a moment ago, younger and and troubled looking, but at the same time, almost sort of overlaid, you see him the way that you know him, the way that you're used to seeing him. You see the tree line the way that it was before, kind of blurred and indistinct, and then in almost the exact same instant, you see it much more clearly delineated, and you notice a path leading up through the trees. You think maybe you hear music. You you start to catch bare glimpses of this scene, and then they immediately are gone again, and everything is fuzzy, and the younger Adam, who can't bring himself to go up to his own wedding day, is sitting next to you. He looks kind of uncharacteristically vulnerable at this comment that you make. And then sighs again and places his head in his hands and says, I just... I don't know if I'm doing the right thing by being here. I I don't know if this is really a good decision for anyone involved. Ooh, that's tough. (laughs) Just how, how do I know I'm not, how do I know I'm not going to mess this up? Well, we can't all be certain. You know, I wish I could tell you that you're not going to mess it up, but, um, you know, we can't know for sure. He, um, he takes us in for a second. He doesn't seem terribly comforted by it. And he, um, just sort of trying to make small talk says so uh how how long have you known Eleanor um not too long uh strangely enough I feel like I've known you longer um can you do me a favor and can you roll a use magic with that comment oh that's a seven it's a seven. Okay, yeah. so that's a mixed success. He looks at you when you say this, and you have that same sort of jarring sensation of seeing two things at once, of seeing the past and the present kind of strangely overlaid. And there's this brief moment of recognition as he looks at you and sees you for maybe the first time. And as he does this, um, he kind of shakes his head a little bit and his, his forehead creases as he kind of tries to make sense of, of what's happening here. And by the look on his face, you can tell he's trying to reconcile something that doesn't make any sense. And then he shakes his head and that overlay is gone. There is, there's nothing there to indicate that he recognizes you or makes any con- connection between the person that's talking to him and the person that you know and the, the relationship that the two of you have built over the past several months. He, um, he sits there for a second and then he says, well, that doesn't make any sense. I'm going to, I'm going to use my, um, telepathy to, uh, just say in his head, well, not a lot does. Okay. Uh, you do this thing, and then, again, I think this this weird sort of connection happens. And then, this time, it holds 
a little bit more. And what ends up happening is kind of this strange halfway point. It's not this total jarring overlay. It's more like you're looking at him in the scene around you and your brain isn't quite settling on either one of these things, which is a hard thing to describe as a visual, but what you're perceiving isn't really a visual experience anyway. This is something much more abstract than that. And so in this space between past and present, between reality and memory, between supposition and fantasy, I think there is a connection made. And I think that you sort of pierce this weird retrospective for a minute. And I think that maybe even this version of Adam that you're looking at now has the one arm in a cast. I I kind of like that visual anchor here of seeing sort of where exactly we are. And he looks at you and he says, what, all right, what the, what the hell is going on here, Martha? I'm going to, I'm going to grab his hand and, Mm -hmm. um, speaking out loud at the same time speaking in his mind, um, you're going to do great, Adam. Oh, that's nice. That's really nice. I think that you say this and I think the scene starts to fade very slightly, but before it can go all the way, I think he grabs your hand back and he looks at you somewhat intensely and he says, how, how can you know that? I, I don't know. <laughs> And I, I hate that I don't know, but you're a good person. You're a good father. You're a good friend. There's a moment the two of you shared in the forest in the last arc when you had made mention to him that you felt like you were bad news for the people that you cared about. And... I think that as you look at him now, you realize that this is maybe the way that he's felt for a long time. And in this moment, I think that sort of solidifies. And without leaving this scene, you are reminded of that moment. And I think you feel something in your, in your arms and you look down and notice that you have with you your particular grounding item that you brought into this magic circle, Martha, your, your stuff Tippo that reminds you of home. What are you thinking in this moment? Well, I mean, you kind of described exactly what I was thinking, like just the realization that, um, Adam, uh, felt like he was a danger to the people around him. And it's kind of relieving Mm -hmm. in a way to know that someone else feels that way as sad of a thought that may be, but it's, uh, it's like reassuring, I guess, Mm -hmm. knowing that he's, uh, been such a good thing for me personally, that I could potentially be a good thing for someone else and not just dangerous or a threat. I really like that. I think that, that realization deserves to have some kind of ripple effect. So I think that maybe as you're sitting here experiencing all of these things in this nonverbal way, 
I think that even so, maybe it's enough to still create this empathic understanding. You're already in this kind of nonverbal space anyway, and I think that you realizing this, you look down at your hands and at the stuffed animal that you're holding, and you look back up at him, and his brow sort of uncreases for a second, and his eyes widen a little bit as you both sort of share this realization that you're you're having here of being two people who have gone through pretty drastically different circumstances, but shared some pretty similar feelings in the midst of them. And realizing that for all of the different ways in which you feel like you've been bad for people and for all of the different ways that you feel like family is such a hard and complicated word, you're still here and you've still managed to find some really incredible people that you care about and that care about you. And there's just this moment of connection, I think, in this moment between two people who pretty desperately need it. And I think that as this realization happens, um, I think he lets go of your hand. And I think he sort of relaxes back into his seat a little bit. And I think that just barely he smiles. And the scene starts to dissolve around you. And that's all that there is. Mariah. Yes. Hi, buddy. Hi. How you doing over there? Oh, it's just a lot. You doing okay? Oh, yeah, yeah I'm one fine. Day, one day you're going to have to stop making us all if cry. I, like, the sniffly sounds, yeah. I had a, like, I teared up a little, but the sniffly sounds you're hearing are just, like, the remnants of my my recent illness. I'm okay. No, it's okay. It makes me sound like a very effective storyteller. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually listened last night to that Winterlude that just released on the public feed because I hadn't listened since it we did it. Uh and that was when you got got real crying. Okay, sorry. Yeah, that was very much. Speaking very um, much. <laughs> this is probably going to be kind of similarly very much. Is that okay? Yeah, I'm okay with that. I can. I can. Okay. Begin. So, Mariah. Yes. Uh, you actually ended your last sort of mindscape on a really strong note. You yes wielded magic for pretty incredible sort of first outing (laughs) and you created this really really powerful resolution and this really strong connection and I think what's so interesting about that is that you had this moment you immediately seized control of this situation and you I think step out of that scene and you are kind of radiating with this energy and you are aware of the sort of emotional atmosphere around you yeah in a way that you've never been before and you are feeling pretty distinctly all of these people that you are in this room with and I think you're you're noticing these very strong um sort of like emotional cores I think maybe you even spend a moment like identifying each of them you sort of like 
are, are flexing this sense that you've never had before and identifying like, oh, okay, interesting. This is what Martha's energy signature looks like. And like, I recognize this one as Siobhan and like, yeah. this is, um, you know, this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so, like that's Zoe. This is like, well, not Zoe. That was a misstep. <laughs> She's not here. She's not for here. For reasons that still need to be addressed. Um, <laughs> yikes on bikes. Anyway, but you're noticing these different people in this mm-hmm. room. And right. I think I, I want to let you tell me how this happens. I kind of have an idea of maybe something that, that sparks this connection. I, I know where you're headed, but I want you to help me figure out how you get there. I'm really curious how Mariah feels about Hawk right now, given everything that you've found out, like, in the past week of in-game time. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm not really sure. Is I, I know that's not a super helpful answer. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm not really sure. There's this... It's a, it's a really tricky situation, because like on once on one hand a lot of like old animosity has been sort of mm-hmm. wiped away but on the other hand there's a lot of oh words are hard mm-hmm. um he's a person that's still associated with a great deal of trauma yeah absolutely even if he didn't like do anything to me Mm-hmm. And it's really not his fault, per se. Yeah, and it's an interesting situation because on the one hand, for for so many reasons and for so long, like it would be easy to pin him as the source of a lot of that unpleasantness, and it would certainly be easier. Yeah. But at the same time, there's almost this kinship that the two of you share as people who are very specific, uh, I guess, survivors of a pretty similar situation. Yeah. And there's, I think, a lot of rawness there. Yeah. But I think that as you are sort of exploring this space, um... I think that maybe even without realizing it, you notice that there is, uh, for lack of a better term, sort of like an energy signature nearby you that is much, much, much more removed than the others. And um, I think maybe without really having any intention of doing so, you tap into it i think you're curious Mm. about it maybe yeah i think it's not even intentional i think it's just sort of like oh wow like i'm feeling myself i have these cool magic powers like i'm looking at this and i'm looking at this and hey what's that over there and before you know it you're pulled into another mindscape and it's something that i think you on the one hand sort of know immediately what's happening because you were so lucid about your last experience But at the same time, this one is almost kind of startling in its clarity. It's a beautiful night. The stars are just gorgeous. You are in the forest and you are uh, the side of a lake and you can look down into the lake and you can see the 
the northern lights sort of reflected across the surface of it. It's just stunningly gorgeous. And there is enough light from overhead that you can see pretty clearly, even though it's dark outside. The air is really, really clear. This memory is preserved pretty much like crystalline. It is so much more intact than the other sort of very abstract things you've been experiencing. And I think as you look around, you notice uh, another figure standing on the other side of this lake. And it's it's not a, a particularly far distance away, but you notice Hawk standing there. And Hawk is one of those people who... When you first meet him or first see him, it's kind of impossible to tell how old he is. He's one of those people that could be either like 30 or 80, and it's really, (laughs) you're not sure. Um, But for the first time seeing him here, you are able to realize in contrast just how much he's aged in the past few years. And right now he's just standing on the other side of this lake, looking up at the sky. Um, His hair is pulled back in a ponytail. And next to him is standing someone else. What do you remember Phil looking like? Um. I know we've described some aspects of this character before, and it's okay if all of those mental images have changed for you now. Yeah. Um, because I understand, like, our perception of the character has changed pretty significantly. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious if there are any particular characteristics that you have in mind. Um. This is, oh my god, this is so specific and so strange, um, and like feels like a break from tone because I'm laughing at it's such a specific image. Have you seen Doubt, the movie? I haven't, no. To me, in my head right now, he looks like Philip Seymour Hoffman in Doubt. Huh. Okay. Yeah, no, I have the image that, I, I know exactly like the character that you're talking about, even though I haven't seen it. Um, yeah, we can roll with that. So... You're probably a little bit winded to recognize Mm -hmm. him standing there, the two of them um, looking up at the stars. And I think that as you sort of materialize into this scene, um, Hawk actually glances back over his shoulder, and it's a quick gesture, but you can swear in that moment that he sees you and is probably a little surprised to see you. But he turns his attention back to uh, the conversation he was having and the, and the stars above. What do you do? Oh my God. I don't, I don't even know what to do. Um, okay. I'd like to um, maybe make my way around the edge of the lake. Uh, sure. Head close, a little closer. We're on opposite yeah. sides right now, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. It's not a particularly huge lake, or this part of it isn't. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in this space, like, distance and time and everything, it, it's really kind of irrelevant. So, yeah, you can do that. Okay. You make your way around this lake, and uh, the scene remains pretty much unchanged. It's remarkably serene, actually. Is there anything that you want to try to hone in on or or judge about this situation? Are they are they having a conversation? Did I make that up or did you say that? No, you didn't make that up. They are having a conversation. I just want to I want to hear what they're talking about. Sure. 
I feel like it's something fairly mundane. Uh-huh. So it can be pretty much anything. Um, do you have any suggestions? This isn't scripted for me necessarily. I think that it's it's something that's very kind of... Uh, I think for Mariah, it's actually like very shockingly mundane, whatever know, this conversation they, uh, is. Maybe they want to go ice fishing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, that sounds good. So I think that Phil makes a comment about how it's... Uh, ice will be thick enough for that for that pretty soon. And Hawk says, um, well, you know, you have to be careful. It, it often seems that way, but I remember on more than one occasion when that is proven incorrect. And the two of them share a small laugh. And the conversation continues much the same as that. I think that as you get sort of closer, um, you notice Hawk glance out of the corner of his eyes and and notice you again. And this time he cocks his head ever so slightly, not enough to indicate necessarily that he's seen anything to anyone except you. But in that moment, as that happens, uh-huh. um, you notice this strange sort of shift, not in anything else about the scene, but just in Hawk himself. And you feel like you're looking at, at two different people at once as he's standing there. Right. I put a, I put a hand on my face to wipe it and I come away with water on my hand. Didn't realize I was, uh, I've been crying and didn't notice. Mm-hmm. I think as you look over here, you notice something else strange, which is that, and you can't remember if this was true a minute ago or not, but you can't see Phil's face. You know who it is, obviously, and you you know what this conversation is, but you just can't perceive it. It's not that there's anything else where his face should be. It's just that for whatever reason, in this moment, in this memory, you can't look at him. I want, I want to, I want to, I want to move closer to, I want to move closer to him. I want to try to see his face. I want to, like, make it make sense. Sure. You move closer to him. I think you still can't necessarily perceive his face that you're looking at. And in fact, I think maybe as you're, standing there trying to, I think that you notice you can kind of discern less and less of him. Everything else around you remains clear, but as you, as you get over there and, and almost the harder you try to do this, the more that it becomes kind of impossible. Can I, uh, can I interact with the world physically at all? Like if I, yeah, absolutely. Whatever you want to do. The rules here are extremely fluid. I, th- I, th- I think before I even before I even realize what I'm doing or before I even think about what I'm doing, I just kind of take my hands and just kind of shove. I just want to push him. I just want to do something. <laughs> like, I feel yeah. like that's going to sound stupid. Like, or, I don't know. I just want to do something. No, I get it. Um, I think you... Violence isn't the answer, kids, but... <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but it's an extremely understandable reaction. I think you go to do this, and I think probably you you reach out and you you go to shove and you feel yourself pushing up against something like you're meeting resistance, but it, there's not really any give to it. And you can't, again, it doesn't necessarily feel like you're pushing on a human being. Like, you know, this is where he was standing. You know that you're making contact with something, you know, that you're shoving as hard as you can, but it doesn't feel like there's any real progress happening here. Uh, Yeah. And I think that, at this point, you actually feel, um, I think you actually feel like a hand on your shoulder and it's Hawk standing next to you. I try to look at him. Mm-hmm. I'm just, <laughs> what, you, you know, I'm sure you could paint some pretty clear picture when you could hear all this. Yeah. <laughs> he, now you only see the version of Hawk that you know, the the present day man standing in front of you. And he looks to be pretty close to where you are now. I don't, uh, I don't think I say, I don't think I say anything. I don't think I can. I think it takes a long moment before he can either. I think he looks at you (laughs) finally and says, you didn't deserve any of this. (laughs) <laughs> yeah uh, take a second try to wipe my face mm-hmm. neither did you oh I think he <laughs> takes his hand off your shoulder and reaches down and takes both of your hands in his and you <sighs> feel him take your hands but when you look down at them, instead of his hands, what you're holding is a book. Um, specifically, you're holding the book that you brought with you into the magic circle. Uh-huh. And I just want to know what that means for you right now. Uh, I'm looking down at it and I'm seeing uh... That thing that books do when you read them so much they can't close all the way anymore. Their pages just sort of fray out from the middle. Yeah. And uh, it's got that, like, crinkle on the cover, like, where by the mm-hmm. by the spine where it, like, you get these little white lines where the paint or the art starts to come off. And yeah. Just seeing that and holding that, and it's, and it's, it's, it's grounding and it's, it's, uh, I can feel, I feel like I'm back uh, at the room where I started and uh, I just uh, want to take it and just kind of press it, press it into my chest. Like when you need to hold on to something really tight and hold yourself really tight mm-hmm. and just do that until you feel like you're back, back in your body and back where you need to be. You do. And I think as you do this thing, I think that you do feel suddenly this feeling of solidness to you. You feel much more um, corporeal than you have felt during the entirety of this sort of very strange ritual that you've been through. I think you feel maybe almost 
a warmth emanating from where this thing is pressed against your chest. And I think that you feel your feet planted solidly on this ground, even as you know that the ground isn't really the ground and you know that the things around you aren't really the things around you. But in this moment, they feel much more real to you and you feel much more real to you. And more than any of that, this this book feels particularly real to you. And everything else you are extremely hyper aware of is is not really in this moment, but but you are. And I think that as you do this, you're sort of filled with the inherent knowledge that you are in control of this scene now. If you want to end it, you can end it. If you want to reshape it, you can reshape it. If you want to turn it into something else or take it somewhere else, you can. But you, Mariah, are Mariah. You are exactly where you need to be, and you are in control. I just want to uh, want to look back out across the water, look mm-hmm. at the stars, look at the sky, and I want that whatever that figure has become, whatever kind of weird, shapeless, vague, I just want it to Mm -hmm. dissolve. I just want it to come apart and disappear. It does. It does this as I think the two of you are standing there and looking out over the lake and the stars are shining down and the aurora is reflecting in the water, kind of rippling and strange. And that figure is gone. And it's just the two of you here on this utterly quiet night. I'm ready to go back. everybody this is your keeper speaking thank you so much for tuning in yet again to a horror borealis we are deeply delighted you've stuck with us this far and we hope you enjoy where this arc ends one of the best things about playing a game like monster of the week which is really narratively driven is that i have no idea when an arc starts what kind of story it's going to end up telling and without fail the places that it goes are always way cooler than what i could have planned on my own anyway i hope this part of our story surprises enchants and unsettles you as much as it did for me. On that note, if you didn't check the content warnings before you started this episode, I do want to encourage you to go ahead and do that now. You know your needs better than I do, but this one goes some even more intense places than it already has, and even though I personally think the storytelling leads to some pretty natural conclusions that you may or may not be able to predict, your mileage may vary. Our first priority is getting there safely, so just think of the content warnings as one tool in a box of many designed to let us build a world we can all buy into together. If you happen to think content warnings are a drag, that's fine. You have a fast forward button and a fully developed sense of agency, and I can't make you read, so keep on keeping on. For everyone else, you'll find them in the show notes where they are every week. 
Another thing you'll notice in this week's show notes when you take a peek is that this episode was pulled together by none other than Val Patrone, who is an absolute superstar of an audio editor and a joy to work with. If you don't already know Val's fantastic production work from The Cryptid Keeper, then one, check out The Cryptid Keeper, (laughs) and two, just know that they are a real asset to any project they join, and I'm so grateful for the ability to have their skills on deck. For the foreseeable future, all audio edits are going to be handled by someone other than me moving forward, which is an enormous help and a huge boon to our sound quality and my peace of mind. That is made possible by the support of our Patreon donors, so seriously, if you aren't a donor, find one today and thank them for me. (laughs) On the topic of Patreon, you can donate to ours for as little as $1 a month and get access to new episodes of A Horror Borealis as soon as they finish edits. No mid-roll, no backlog, just you and that sweet content. That lead has gotten a lot smaller over the course of the year, but it's still several episodes ahead, and depending on your tier, there are all sorts of other goodies just waiting for you to unlock as well. If you check them out, be sure to let us know what you think. And just as a reminder, if you do look for us on Patreon, you will find us under Cryptid Keeper Podcast, or The Cryptid Keeper. It's not listed under Horror Borealis because this show started as a subsidiary of that one, etc., etc., etc. You've heard this a million times before. Uh, Without further ado, I want to let you all get back to it. So just before I drop the end of this mid-roll off for you, I want to take a quick moment to tell you to check out some of the other shows on the OneShot Network. The OneShot Network is full of amazing content, be it interview shows or game theory discussions or other really phenomenal actual plays. If you aren't already listening to things like Campaign Skyjacks or the Neoscum podcast or the Broadswords or... Uh, Asians represent, there's really nothing more I can say to get you to check them out, but it would be an incredible use of your time. And hey, while you're waiting for our next episode to drop, that gives you seven days to fit some of those in. So really do go give them a listen. They're made by some of the best people I know, and the content never fails to astound and impress me. It's really just unbelievably good. Uh, That's all. So as always, the part of Mariah Harris is played by Addison Peacock. The part of Martha Campbell is played by Tim Werner. The part of Siobhan O'Shaughnessy is played by Andrew Giada, who also composed our excellent theme music, except for the thing you listened to just before this mid-roll, which is actually a Tim Werner composition, so shout him out for that one, I really love it. And I'm your keeper, Alex Flanagan. Audio was edited this week by Val Patrone, and enjoy the rest of the episode. Bye! And you do. It's as simple as that. The scene is over and you are aware of your feet feeling solidly on the ground. You're no longer in this sort of strange space that you inhabited for a moment. And in fact, all three of you are back in the room where you started, or at least you are in the ritual space that you started in, firmly grounded. You feel those items that you brought into the circle with you placed wherever they are, and you begin to understand the process of this thing that you've undertaken. And from there, armed with the knowledge that you've sort of explored and the things that you've done, it's a really simple matter of beginning to manipulate the threads around you and the energies that you feel 
and on a much more general scale, reshaping the sort of tone of the things that have come into this circle. When you first started this ritual, you were utterly overwhelmed by the sheer magnitude of the numbers of really complicated emotions that were filling this space as you were trying to sort through people's really complicated relationships with this area and the forest and the things that have happened here. And now it's this very deft, almost instinctual experience of reshaping these energies and placing them where they need to be. And I think probably for the three of you, there might be more experiences of gently reshaping or redirecting where these things need to go, but we're not going to go into any of that. You spend most of this night, if you can conceive of time really passing, uh, going in this way and, and you are sort of undergoing this magic ritual and it gets easier and easier and easier and easier and easier as you go until things are filled in here and there and pretty much everywhere. And then all of a sudden, all three of you find yourselves back in the same place. And there's kind of this suddenness with which you arrive there. Um, almost like when you're on a roller coaster and it comes to a sudden stop and you have this like breathlessness about you as if everything has been moving and moving and moving and that movement had felt like your new normal and then suddenly stopping feels strange. After all of this, the three of you emerge somewhere new. And it is, of course, familiar to you insofar as all of the other scenes you've seen have been familiar to you. It is, of course, the forest. It is some recognizable semblance of the area north of Revenant that you know. But it is certainly not Hawk's living room, and it is certainly not like any of the places that you have visited yet today. Throughout all of the sort of changes you've been making and the alterations you've been weaving, you've noticed overall that things seem to grow better and brighter and more improved and friendlier and calmer the longer you've been doing this. But when you come out into this space, it's completely the opposite. There is very little light here. It's dark. There are branches enmeshed with each other and gnarled up tree trunks and thorny vines that don't even really seem to make sense from the forest that they're in. But you can barely make out the shapes of these twisted trees. And I think through what dim light is available, you can see each other. Hey, are you guys okay? Um, yeah. yeah. Um, where, where are we? Um, I, uh, I, I don't know. Um, are we back in the forest? I don't, th I don't, I, I don't think so. It looks like it, but it's, it's, it's not. It's not the forest. It's something's I, wrong. Well, something's definitely wrong. Um, can I make a perception thing? Yeah, you can definitely read a bad situation. That's what it's called in this game. <laughs> um, and that's plus what again? Sharp plus sharp. I forgot what my sharp is. It is one. <laughs> so I got a six. Okay, so a six is a failure. Yeah. You can't glean any more information from this. I mean, I I will say that, again, you look around, you know this is a forest. You know it's very dark here and dimly lit, and it doesn't take a perception roll to know that it's very <laughs> menacing. It doesn't feel good to be here. 
I think that uh, you particularly, Martha, in this space are feeling some magical repercussions. Not that you aren't everywhere you've been today, but something about this feels more sinister to you, even without the aid of any specific insight. Yeah, and I think it's maybe a little bit overwhelming as well. I would imagine, yeah. This is definitely, you know, the other places that you've been to, you sort of have had some control in uh, working with the scenario around you or, or forming it from this abstract space. What is around you here is concrete in a way that those things haven't been. It's almost as if something has been growing and forming and establishing itself here and, and sort of tangling in upon itself for quite some time. Can I, uh, can I read a bad situation? Sure. Yeah. It's another sharp roll. Yeah. Let me roll my dice here. Okay. That's going to be a, that's, I rolled a 10 plus my sharp is three. That's going to be a 13. Oh my God. Okay. Dunk. Yeah. Um, So you can ask me any question you want about the situation. You're not confined to the list. Oh boy. Um, aside from, the the trees aside from the general forest is there anything else mm-hmm. that I, I can see that i can notice just from looking around and taking in details from where i'm at yes i think as your eyes begin to adjust to the light whatever that means in this space maybe it's just the expectation mariah has that when you are in dark places for a while you start to notice more things and so that's how the situation responds to you but you begin to notice that these silhouettes that you're seeing are not just gnarled up tree trunks, are not just thorny branches. It seems like there are things sort of enmeshed in them. You see twisted metal and shredded shrapnel and glass and sparking wires starting to emerge from the branches. Not starting to emerge in that they are just now doing so, but your eyes are adjusting and you're starting to notice things that you weren't expecting to see before. It seems as if there are pieces of construction equipment enmeshed in these tree trunks. You look up and you notice a hard hat hanging from one of the branches a bit further down. And even more than that, you start to feel the ground beneath you vibrating kind of uneasily. That same low rumble that you heard earlier in the forest out in the physical world, you perceive it now on the edges growing closer. I just kind of point toward the toward the construction helmet guys yeah i see it yeah um do i see any movement anywhere i don't know that you do i mean there's maybe like a a soft swaying of some of the branches up above you i do think that uh you know if you are continuing to sort of try to perceive your surroundings and take it uneasily you may be here Uh, what sounds like another person from a little bit further into this area of the forest. You can certainly go in that direction if you wish. Yeah. I would like to maybe move, move that way. Okay. To the others follow? Oh yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to follow. Yeah, definitely. I think it's good to stick together here. Great. Yeah. And I think that would be the, the sort of underlying uh, expectation. You move a little bit further into this space. I'm imagining making your way very uneasily and, Sort of as you touch certain tree trunks or, or just try to step around them, I think you're aware of this, this rumbling sound, this very unfriendly, uneasy vibration and, and hum all around you that seems to be growing a little bit louder the further you go in this direction. And then ahead of you, you make out uh, in the dim light 
in front of you, uh, Mayor Sluffton sprawled on the ground, his foot trapped by a root twisted around his ankle. It seems like he's been struggling for quite some time to get free. Why is he here? Uh, he hears your voice and and turns around as best he can and uh, recognizes you with a mask of just absolute fury on his face. What am I doing? What are you doing here? Get me, get me out of here immediately. I'm gonna... I'm going to just, can I go like, just pull him out of the root? Like, is that? Uh, I think you would probably have to like cut it away or something, but yeah, that can be done. Okay. Like it's the, the way that he is sprawled, he doesn't have anything he can use on uh, it at the moment. Like he is trapped, but it would not be too out of the question for you to, to cut that away or or pull it away and, and free him. He's just not capable of doing so in the position he's stuck in. Siobhan canonically has a big knife. Yeah, she does. Yeah. yeah. yeah I so also I'll... have a butterfly knife, but I don't know if that's on me in the dreamscape. It can be. If you if you want it to be, it's there. Okay. Oh, well, in that um, case, I want a beluga whale. <laughs> Martha, please. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no. Read the room, buddy. No, no. I just, yeah, I feel like at this point, it's a, it's a small thing and like, whatever. Fine. Yeah, I don't. Um, I, I think the big knife would have better luck yeah, here than the butterfly knife. I think it's a fairly thick, yeah, okay, you know, protrusion of root. So I'll head over and uh, take out my knife. What do I need to do? I need to roll for it. You don't need to roll anything. No, right. you're you're cutting through a piece of wood. I imagine this is something Siobhan has done a million times. Uh, um, while I'm doing that, I'm going to ask him, um, "Why do you do all this, Marty?" What? Do what? I I didn't do anything. You're the ones who who brought me here and did whatever is whatever the hell is going on in this forest you still don't get it all of this is because of the construction that you ordered we didn't make these trees happen this was inadvertently you whatever freaks of nature are hanging out here in this two-bit town i have nothing to do with it i don't know what you're talking about who would you call a freak of nature Siobhan, I think you finished cutting through the root and he tugs his foot out and clambers to his feet and actually uh reaches into his jacket and pulls a gun on the three of you. Uh, I am going to very quickly go ahead and um, I guess it would probably be protect someone if I'm trying to protect him from shooting Martha or uh, Mariah. If you are trying to protect Martha or Mariah from being shot, you mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eight plus my tough, which is three. So that's an 11. That's also boom highlight. I'm going to take... Hold on. Because I knew I was one experience away from an upgrade. Uh-huh. So I wanted to hopefully use this to kind of like get the upgrade that I wanted. Okay, sure. Is it possible yeah. to use this upgrade now since it's like brand new? Tell me what your upgrade is and what you have in mind. Protect someone. I want to take advanced protect someone. Well, it's on a 12 plus, but can I like, I, I, I guess not since it was an 11. Right. But I'm, yeah. Okay. Well, anyway. New move, advance, protect someone. It's cool. Yeah. Love it. Also, just to fill out the scene when he pulls the gun, obviously a verbal, like a verbal reaction of like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, of course. Um, Siobhan, you do successfully, you know, mm-hmm. pull out. I'm assuming you're using your new spectral shield. Yeah. So I, I want to use my spectral shield to kind of like block the gun. And if it's possible, kind of like knock it out of his hand with the shield. Um, so on a 10 plus, you do get to choose an extra, which is you can either suffer little harm 
all impending danger is now focused on you, you inflict harm on the enemy, or you hold the enemy back. If you want to use your inflict harm to count as, like, knocking the gun out of his hands, I, I would consider that. Um, I think hold the enemy back would be probably better okay. for this situation. Sure. Um, then he is going to hold on to the gun, and uh, you successfully, you know, you protect, you get your shield out immediately. It's an incredible reaction. And he is stunned by this, too, of course. You know, this is not a normal thing that you would see, especially not in the local government world. Right. <laughs> but um, he stumbles backwards a little bit, holding onto the gun. He's kind of wild-eyed. His his hair is a mess, and he is uh, sort of visibly unglued, but is uh, waving the gun around between the three of you, who are all safe and sound, thanks to Siobhan's role, and says, I I don't care, I don't need an explanation, but you, you three are going to get me out of here now. We're wherever or whatever this is, we're done here. I, I don't... We don't really know where out is. Um, as soon as you try to come to this defense, it, Mariah, the words are barely out of your mouth before the ground lurches under your feet. He drops the gun, which bounces away several feet and skitters to a stop. But as the ground is sort of shaking and things are rumbling, there's debris falling from up above. He lunges after the gun, but the trees are already sort of moving and the ground is is shifting beneath his feet. And he sort of stumbles in a way that causes his arm to be caught in between the gap of a tree and the branches immediately start closing around it. What are the three of you doing? Um, again, this is a very unstable situation right now. There are things falling from above. There's ground moving beneath you. There are There's movement happening in the woods. I think you're also keenly aware of the fact that as these trees begin moving and as debris begins falling, it's, it's not just the, you know, leaves and, and wood from up above. It's all of these things that are enmeshed in the trees, and it's a very dangerous situation. How much time do we have to, like, find a way out? <sighs> um, Whatever action you are trying to take here is going to be kind of determined by an act under pressure okay. role. Okay. Um, so it would be act under pressure to figure out how much time we have to before everything and, just No, collapses? no, no, not to figure out how much time you have, but I'm saying rather than giving you a a time key of like, this is how much time you have, like anything you are trying to accomplish here, mm -hmm. the amount of time you have to do it successfully is going to be dictated by your, your act under pressure success is what I'm saying. Okay. Um, how many like roots and stuff are trying to get it? The mayor. Um, it's not really the root so much at this point. It is again, he, his, his, he lunged arm. forward for this gun and, and sort of stumbled into a way where his, his arm pretty much up to the shoulder is entrapped in this, in this tree. Like, there was a fork of a mm. tree, and he sort of stumbled into it with his arms out in front of him to catch himself. Oh, I and see. And he is now, like, held fast. I see. Um, I think he's probably straining to try to get at the gun, which is just out of his reach. Um, but he is very firmly stuck. Well, if it's, like, a full tree, I don't know that the big knife would <laughs> be able to cut through it. Uh, that would be a very fraught situation. Or, if you want to attempt it, I mean, you could get into a fight with the tree. Or but... a very big knife. <laughs> Might need a much bigger knife, yeah. That's not a knife. That's not a knife. <laughs> We're going to need a bigger knife. <laughs> I guess I am, I am, can I just act under pressure to kind of take in the shift in the surroundings, figure, like, look for, like, any sort of clearing, look for any sort of, like, gap in... Yes. Okay. 
Yes, because I don't think this is something where you have to be particularly perceptive. You yeah. just have to be able to yes. think clearly enough to do this mm-hmm. under the circumstances. So yeah, just roll me an act under pressure. Uh, uh, well, bad news, guys. I rolled a five. Oof. Oof. Okay. So what are you aiming to do? You're trying to just like sort of look around, take in your situations, figure yeah. out an exit strategy here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you sort of wheel around to try to figure out what on earth is happening here and... Um, you only narrowly avoid getting hit by a piece of falling debris. Now I'm, I'm not going to like immediately have you crushed under a crane, but, um, I think that you do suffer too harm because something uh, falls down next to you, like a, a huge hunk of shit. Okay. Something yeah. of metal construction equipment, like a, like a steel beam or what have you. And, um, slices open your arm basically from the shoulder down to almost your elbow. Oh God. Um, Yep. Can I just say that while all this is happening, um, <laughs> Martha looks absolutely terrified. She is frozen in her tracks, okay. um, seeing everything just fall apart around her um, is taking back, oh, yeah. taking her back to uh, when she was in middle school and the accident that happened with the uh, the bank collapsing. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything that she is? doing in this circumstance, either consciously or just reflexively, that is uh, sort of a reaction she would be having to this? Or is she just completely rooted to the spot in fear? I think just completely rooted to the spot in fear, like eyes wide open. Uh, You can see her trembling. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So a couple of things are happening right now. Um, one, Mariah, I think that not only are you shaken by this this two-harm gash you've just taken on your arm, but by the realization that, you know, this entire time you've been in the dreamscape, things have been kind of malleable and fluid in a way that has not yet caused you any physical harm. And this is probably very alarming yeah. to you. Um, Martha obviously is just absolutely frozen with this situation surrounding her and the ways in which it is mirroring some pretty horrific memories. Siobhan, I think that you are now torn in this position where you see the mayor over here struggling to do this thing and there is the situation falling to pieces around you, but also your two companions who are with you are both obviously incapable of handling this situation on their own. If someone is going to find a way out of this, it's going to have to be you. Oh boy. Oh, Nelly. Shoot. Okay. Um, how do I try and find a way out? What do I need to do? Act under pressure. Right. It's a seven plus two for a nine. Okay. So a mixed success on an act under pressure gives you a worse outcome, a hard choice, or a price to pay. Yeah. Are you comfortable with that in this situation? or? Okay, so I get to choose? No, no, no. I'm saying, like, this mm-hmm. is a mixed success. On a mixed success, you're going to get some of what you want and some of yeah. what you don't. You also do right. have luck points. I'm asking you now if this is a situation where you want to use uh, one. No, I don't want to use a luck point. Okay. No. Cool. Then your worst outcome, I think, is you notice uh, you're, you're sort of looking around and you are panicked, but the shield is still open on your arm, the spectral shield mm-hmm. that you have, and... I think that you feel it sort of not physically tugging you in a given direction, 
but you do feel this pull that you can't really explain. And you intuitively know that it is coming from the magic item on your arm. And it is, you sort of feel compelled in a specific direction. And I think you look up in that direction and you see what looks like it might be a clearing up ahead, but as you take it in for more than just a second, you realize it's not necessarily a clearing and that it is not a more open spot of the woods, but it is just a spot where this situation around you ceases to exist. Mm. There's a gap in the trees, and beyond it, there is not this dark and tangled forest, nor is there open grassland. There is just nothing. If it is a, a gateway back out into the open space where you have sort of been navigating everything beforehand. Um. So the yeah. worst outcome is that you cannot bring all three of these people with you. You know, you don't have time to try to deal with whatever is going on with the mayor and the tree and this situation here and also get both of your teammates out of here. You're you're going to have to make a choice. Choices, huh? Mhm. Mm-hmm. I mean like me Andrew says like I mean obviously the player characters, but that's a little metagamey. <laughs> right. So going back into <laughs> Siobhan, um, I don't think she is like super comfortable with leaving anyone behind, but like, sure. She is very sure that she needs to make the, the right choice. Um, so mm-hmm. she points out to the clearing and says, um, we got to go that way. Um, run your asses off. I don't know. I'm not good at cursing. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. I think as I go, uh, is there anything I would need to roll for to try to pull Martha with me? Because she's still... Uh, we'll consider that to protect okay. someone. Yeah. So you can roll plus tough to I wasn't see sure what I should also do for that. So if I... Why don't we do like a, a both... Like, we're both, like, we grab her and do, like, the shoulder thing. Oh, yeah. Because otherwise, like, I don't know if she's going to start running or if her feet would just, like, drag. So, right. why don't... Okay, so one of you roll to protect someone and the other person Your roll to help out. Your tough is better than mine? Yeah, my tough is three. So. Yeah, so um, what would help out mean that I need to roll? Uh, you roll You roll plus cool. Okay. Oh, mama. That is an 11 plus three. Nice. Holy shit. Oh, I got a yeah. 10. Nice. Okay, um, this is your your advanced protect someone too, right? Yeah, so, so on uh, 12 plus, both you and the character you are protecting are unharmed and out of danger. Great. Yeah. I rolled a 10 on my help out. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Nice. Okay. Super, super successful. Um, so yeah, then you are both, I think you both sort of lock eyes and Siobhan, you make eye contact with this panicked Mariah over here on the other side. But in doing so, you establish like, okay, listen, I'm calling an audible. This is what we're doing. Go here now. Don't question it. And you lock eyes. You both spot Martha where she is and realize like, okay, we're, we're getting out of this and we're doing it together right now. And you make a break for it. You run over and uh, Martha, do you permit yourself to be sort of yeah, no, I, I think team carried by these two. I mean, either that or just like shaking me into reality, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think each one of them grabs you sort of by the arm or, or hoists your arm up over their shoulder and the three of you make a break for it. As you are running, um, 
pieces of this forest are just starting to more and more rapidly decompose around you. Things are falling apart. If there were a way for a forest to be structurally unsound, this is it. Everything is coming down. And you are starting to see more and more of these blank patches of nothing beyond the tree line. And this low rumbling that you've been hearing the entire time starts to sort of speed up if that's at all possible. There's almost a a rhythmic aspect to it. And I think you almost get the sensation that it kind of feels like the heartbeat of this forest and it's going faster and faster. You are running at top speed for this blank space. And I think it's one of those things where you almost just close your eyes right before impact and make a break for it. And then in a weird experience of nothingness, you find yourselves on the other side. You are left with this feeling of momentum, but come to standing completely still. It's extremely disorienting, but as you open your eyes, you all find yourselves back in Hawk's living room. Martha immediately breaks down and starts crying. I'm going to roll to comfort. (laughs) <laughs> it's not a move in this game, yeah. but you can you can role play to comfort. <laughs> yeah, Siobhan, I'm not sure is is uh, great at that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she she is the mom in that she's like protective, but I don't know if sure that part is great. Um, so I think she like gives her a pat on the back and like rubs her back a little bit. Um, like there, there, uh, it's it's okay. We're we're safe. I think my first instinct immediately upon coming out is to check my arm and then and make sure, see if, if the wound is still there. It's I assume not. Uh, it is, yeah. It is, shit. Well, damn. Yeah. So I see that and I'm, I think there would be like a very, I, I want to be there for Martha, but like mm-hmm. my first instinct is going to be probably to like, like put a hand to it. Yeah, absolutely. Fingers come away slick with blood. I have a I have a move called medic. Sure, yeah. I mean, you can use whatever you want. You also there are other people in this room. I'm also too. in a house full of people, so like I'll be okay. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, whatever whatever you think the priorities are. Again, you are back in Hawk's living room now, so there are other yeah. people here. Um, everyone can get taken care of. So yeah. whatever the situation looks like for all of you, I think just in my yeah. own <laughs> Mariah <laughs> processing in, intense situations in her own in her own way. She just kind of looks up, maybe makes eye contact with Hawk and says, hey, um, do you have a first aid kit? Uh, Yeah, I think Hawk was sort of seated cross-legged against the wall, um, maybe almost like not meditating in the way that, you know, like not sitting there chanting or anything, but just sort of quietly in his own space. And as soon as you all come out, Mm -hmm. obviously opens his eyes, starts getting to his feet, notices this gash on your arm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think so does probably uh, like Ranger Merrily, who gasps and and runs over to where she has a a first aid kit too. So um, you're in perfectly good hands, you know, you're getting wrapped up. Um, Martha is, you know, clearly also having her situation over here. And and Siobhan, I think we know Mariah is going to be stable. So if you want to help her, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But if you also want to focus on Martha, like, that's totally understandable. I really don't know, like, what all I can do Mm -hmm. for Martha. And I think Siobhan is the kind of person who needs to be able to, like, do something. something. Yeah, Yeah. sure. So she might might run over and and try and patch up... um, Mariah. Sure. Yeah. I think that, um, well, I think that Hawk definitely goes over to, to Martha. 
Um, and it's been five million years. Is Ben here? I, does anybody remember? I don't think he I don't think Ben is there. I don't know. I thought he was with you guys, but I didn't remember if he came back for this. Th- so we'll say that he's not here right now because I don't want to confuse anything. He either didn't come or he's in the bathroom. <laughs> I don't wow, think- bad timing. I don't think Ben is there, but I also don't remember. <laughs> okay, so I think um, I think that Martha Hawk comes over to you and places a hand on your shoulder and just kneels down in front of you, sort of getting on your level and just like trying to check in with you. Just call me like Martha. Martha, are you are you all right? Um, I think she just goes in for the hug. Okay. And yeah, like, clutches onto him. Sure. Yeah, he uh, he wraps you in his arms and and just stands there with you then. Siobhan, then, after she patches mm-hmm. up Mariah, um, is going to suddenly, I think, remember that there was mm-hmm. a fourth person in there. And she didn't have the time right. to save everyone. Um, and I think she's going to go over to where okay. Morty is. I have a yeah. question. Sorry, a meta question. No, you're good. Is he physically there or is he just gone? That is a good question for us to get into. I was envisioning him still being physically there, but uh, we can I, we can make that decision together. What do we think is... I had envisioned him, because the physical body there is the physical body out of it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of... And this might just be because I like the convenience of not having to deal with a body. <laughs> as dark yeah. as that sounds, I, I kind of like the idea yeah. that he's gone. Like, you look to this okay. place where he was, and there's no one there. Where he was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. But also, I, I'm not I'm not trying to make a call alone. No, that's, I mean, what's the general consensus here? I think that would track, because, like, yeah. uh, um, Mariah was, like, hurt during it. So yeah, if my if, wound right. transitioned, like, physically transferred, then... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, if the whole place was, like, falling yeah. apart and, like, disintegrating... Then it would, yeah, it would make sense that he sure. was yeah. okay. not there. Uh, then, yeah, I think so, Siobhan, you sort of snap to attention and realize, like, whoa, okay, we're we're missing someone. Um, and you look around mm-hmm. for, uh, for Morty. And I think you instinctively look over to the couch where he was sort of laid out. And I think that probably the the pillows that were arranged under him are still there. There's maybe even still, like... Uh, a divot or an indentation in the like cushions where he was laid down, but he is nowhere to be seen. Where's Morty? Uh, I think Merrily kind of looks up from Mariah's arm that she's tending and makes brief eye contact with Ranger Gannon. They both look kind of uncertain, and Merrily looks over to you and says, "Well, we uh, we were kind of hoping maybe you had an explanation." Siobhan just kind of sighs and says, "Um, I'll tell you." A- on the way back. Okay. I think this is the scene we pull back on. We have everyone emerged back into Hawk's living room. Um, all except, you know, one person still very much there and as rattled as rattled can be, but physically intact and once again in the same place. And the camera pans and we get a glimpse out the window where the sun is sort of just edging over the horizon and everything's illuminated in this unsettling sort of mid-morning sunrise and a fiery orange glow 
and the trees are rustling slightly in a breeze, but that breeze dies down and everything comes to a stop. And for the first time in many days, uh, everything is completely at peace. It's an unsettled peace, but despite this one deeply unsettling incident, a lot of things have been laid to rest here in a way that they weren't before. And if this is the cost of success, then it's been paid. 